Uh, If you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 17. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed him and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent, for now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have, for I have many people, many in, the, in, this, in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. When Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names in your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sostenus, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. This is God's holy and infallible word. Amen. Amen. So over the last several months, as we have been uh, working our way through the book of Acts, we have been uh, introduced to some extraordinary Men and women, men whom God has used to advance his kingdom, to advance his, his message. We have the, uh, uh, the apostles Peter and, and John, those, those, those great apostles that God used to advance his message. We, we were introduced to Stephen, whom many considered the, the first Christian Martyr, and, and it isn't too long before we are introduced to, to Barnabas, that, that great encourager, that great servant of the early church. Recently, Luke has highlighted for us Lydia, that God-fearing businesswoman whom, upon hearing the gospel, turned in faith toward Jesus Christ. And upon hearing that, upon her life being changed by the gospel, she opens up her home to the First Baptist Church of Philippi, right? These men and women have accomplished significant things for the Lord. Their lives are highlighted and set on display for us to see how God used them, used them in in mighty ways, in extraordinary ways to carry his gospel. In many ways, they are an example for us. But, but a majority of the book of Acts is taken up with the Apostle Paul. 
the once persecutor of the faith, now turned preacher by the the power of the gospel. We have spent the last several weeks, Luke has been highlighting, over the last several weeks, Luke has been highlighting the the missionary journey of of Paul, and he's going to spend the the rest of Acts detailing these accounts of his, 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 uh, his missionary work as well. And so given this reality that, that, the, that we spent a lot of time with talking about Paul and his missionary journeys, and we're going to spend the rest of our time through Acts talking out about Paul, our, our proclivities to celebrity and to, to top ten lists and the desire to want to know who's best, we might assume that the book of Acts is all about Paul that he is the main theme of the book of Acts, that that the book of Acts is simply about Paul and his missionary journeys. I would like to submit to you that although Luke highlights many of these men and women, uh, Peter and John and, and Barnabas and Lydia and the apostle Paul, though he puts these men and women on display as examples for us, all bearing unique gifts and abilities, the focal point of the book of Acts is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That on every page and in every chapter, Luke is showing us how the gospel message of Jesus Christ, him He died, was buried, was raised again from the dead, is unstoppable. The gospel message is unstoppable. It's like that that snowball rolling down a snow-covered hill, gaining speed and, and momentum and more and more momentum, picking up people as it rolls down the hill, leaving evidence in its wake. It can't be stopped. There is no match for its power. The snowball, the snowball started in Jerusalem and it, and it moved to Judea and, and then down into Samaria and Caesarea and Berea. Then on to Philippi and, and Athens. And now it comes to Corinth. Corinth, the, the great and powerful influential city of Corinth. It it was strategically located within the Roman Empire and was known for commerce and trade. It was a prominent city. It was a city that everybody wanted to be a part of. It was like New York City. A great city. (laughs) But Corinth also had a reputation. It had a reputation, and it wasn't a good reputation. In fact, it was known as a city for sexual immorality. For those of you who grew up in the 80s, I want you to think of 42nd Street in New York. Or perhaps you can think of Metropolitan Avenue here in Atlanta. Or the French Quarter in New Orleans. This was a city full of immorality. One writer said that Corinth was the vanity fair of the Roman Empire. Would this be the city? Would this be the one city that would stop the message of the gospel? Would this be it? 
Brothers and sisters, the gospel is unstoppable. I'm a big, I'm a big sports fan. I, I like sports. They're, they're great. They're great. I like to play them. I like to, to watch them. There's things that, that fans often do is that we speak in hyperbole. We, we like to use words and language to, to describe our sports heroes that probably isn't very accurate. We like to say, say that our sports heroes are unstoppable. When, when Michael Jordan played basketball, he was unstoppable. Some would, some would label LeBron James as, there he is, right, Ant? Some would label LeBron James as unstoppable. Really, that's, that's an over-exaggeration. Men often are unstoppable. You know what tends to stop them? Death. <laughs> Old age. Listen, I, uh, Aiden, I, I like to race him. My, my oldest son, I like to race him every now and then. So I, I always win. So you can label me as unstoppable, right? But one day, one day, <laughs> one day he's going to get me. Probably when I'm 70, right, son? <laughs> oh, brothers and sisters, we like to talk in terms of, of people and, and things being unstoppable. But only the gospel message is unstoppable. And the reason it's unstoppable, I I think we see here in Corinth why it is unstoppable. The gospel is unstoppable because it motivates its messengers. It motivates its messengers. When we look at the lives of Peter, Stephen, and and Barnabas, and, and Lydia, and Paul, we see that they are driven. They are driven. They are spurred on by the message of the gospel. I think that's what Luke would want us to see, that they would want us to know that these men and women that I'm setting before you as an example are motivated by the message of the gospel. They were were so changed, they were so impacted by the gospel message that everything, even their lives, changed. Paul's life, if if you know the apostle Paul, his life is, was consumed with the gospel. His, his life mission was to spread the message of Jesus Christ, and he went after it hard. 1 Corinthians 15, 9-10 says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Paul never got over the fact that he had once persecuted the church and now God was so gracious to him to call him as his own, to be his messenger, that it drove him to proclaim the gospel. Paul's life was committed to the preaching of the gospel no matter what. He was never idle, never sitting still. He wanted to, uh, to, to, to seize every opportunity he had to proclaim the gospel. Door closes to this city. Well, let's go to the next. Beat up in this city, certainly there will be those in the next city that will hear the 
message. This was Paul's attitude. There was always, always an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. I like what Elder Woodard said. We don't actually have to pray for opportunities to share the gospel. They are all around us. What we need to do is pray for the courage and the passion to seize those opportunities that are already before us. Oh, Paul sought sought to seize every opportunity to preach the gospel message that he had before him. That, That passion, that passion that he had, do you understand that that passion came from God? 2 Corinthians Verse, chapter 5 and verse 14 and 15, here's what Paul says. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that, that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is what drove Paul. Do you hear his language here? He is constrained. He is moved. He is propelled because he has become convinced of the gospel. That's what is his motivation to preach it. He has been so transformed by it. He's been so changed by it. It compels him to tell others. So he seizes every opportunity before him to preach. The gospel, the gospel motivates its messengers. That is why it is unstoppable. Those who hear the message are changed by it and they can't help but share it. This is is the prophet Jeremiah, is it not? Jeremiah in 20, verse 9 If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. Brothers and sisters, this is Paul. This is Paul's attitude as he is in Corinth. Seizing every opportunity to preach the gospel and nothing, nothing was going to stop him from doing that. Not even the lack of financial resources. Not even the lack of financial resources. You see, Paul was now in Corinth and in need of money to continue the journey. Uh, 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 Silas and Timothy had not yet joined him. They, they, were, they were in Macedonia. They had not yet joined back up with him. And if he was going to continue, he needed some financial resources. He needed some money. So did Paul sit around and say, okay, well, I'll just, I'll just wait until Silas and Timothy come and, and then we'll go until they bring the resources? Or, or maybe, you know what, this is a, this is a sign that, that God wants me to stop preaching. He wants me to stop my mission, so I'm just going to go back home to Jerusalem and, and get comfortable there. Is that what Paul does? No. Remember, he is motivated by the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It is what constrains him. It's what controls him. And so, week after week, so Paul, I'm sorry, meets Aquila and Priscilla, fellow Jewish Christians who happen to be tent makers. 
So Paul, in an effort to, to make some money, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't go and wait. He doesn't wait for, for Timothy and Silas to get there. He doesn't go back home. He joins Aquila and Priscilla and works alongside them in an effort to provide for his financial needs. Paul didn't stop sharing the mission, the message. He did, his, his mission of preaching the gospel didn't change. So week after week, he is working with Aquila and Priscilla as tent makers, hard labor. But on the weekends, what is he doing? Week after week, he is preaching the gospel. He's not too tired. He goes to the synagogue week after week, preaching the gospel, seeking to persuade the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Wasn't long, wasn't long before Silas and, and Timothy actually then do join Paul. They show up and, and bring some, some resources. And so Paul could go back now into full-time ministry, to, to continuing to daily um, preach the gospel. It says in verse 5, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. The gospel, the gospel motivates its messengers. Paul, whether he was working a secular job or working a full-time job, his mission of preaching the the gospel never changed. He, He wasn't interested in making excuses. He wasn't interested in retreating because his motivation didn't come from what he was doing. It came from what God had done and was doing in him. I think, brothers and sisters, that, that I would be okay in saying that, that Paul here sets for us an example. His life, his pursuits, all that he was about were governed by the gospel. Are yours? Don't, please understand that I, what I'm not doing here is trying to to guilt you into going on the mission field. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to to guilt you into quitting your job and saying, oh, I'm going to go now into, I need to go now into full-time ministry in order to be compelled by the gospel to accomplish what God has called me to do. What I want you to do is to consider the opportunities right in front of you. See the situations you find yourself in and seize them for the sake of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, this applies to your jobs. Do you understand that? This applies to your jobs. The the gospel should motivate you to be a a good employee, to to get to work on time, to, to not cheat and to not steal. And so that when you are asked, why do you do what you do? Why do you live the way you live? You have an opportunity to testify of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. He's my motivation. I work as unto him. This applies to your jobs. I'm not trying to guilt you into going into the mission. Don't get scared. (laughs) This applies to your everyday lives. 
applies to schools, to relationships, to your, to your marriages, to your ministry. It is the love of Christ that constrains you to testify about him whenever I have the opportunity. The gospel, the gospel is unstoppable because it motivates its messengers. The gospel is is also unstoppable because it's not limited. It's not limited. Paul was going into the synagogue, as we've said, as the text tells us, week after week, proclaiming the gospel, answering questions, reasoning. Paul was laboring at this. He was was working hard. He He was striving to persuade these Jews that Jesus, the Christ, was the Messiah. He's laboring among these Jews, hoping and believing, hoping and praying that that they would believe. But despite his best efforts, he was met with opposition. And and this was hard for Paul. This was was hard because he had a a burden for his people. These were his kinsmen according to the flesh, as Romans 9 and verse 3 and 4 tells us. For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. This was the plan of God. The message of, of Jesus Christ was to go to First to the Jews and then on to the Gentiles. Jesus' ministry is marked with these instructions. You remember his response to the Syrophoenician woman who came to him and wanted her daughter healed. And Jesus says, hold up. And he said, "Let let the children be fed first, speaking of the Jews, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Jesus here was speaking that the message had to go first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. You see, the Jews were God's chosen people to receive the message of salvation. But they didn't believe. They they hardened. They hardened their hearts to the message and thought that they were okay with God already. They believed they were the special ones. They they were God's people. And and if you were not a descendant of Abraham, then you were out. But we're okay because we're descendants of Abraham. Paul was fed up with their hardness of hearts. And he says this in verse 6. Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. For now, from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Paul evokes the judgment from Ezekiel. Paul says, my hands are clear. My responsibility is done. I have, have like the watchman, I've warned you of the impending judgment, and you have not received it. I'm going to wipe off my feet. My responsibility is done. So he takes his message, and he goes to the Gentiles. He takes it to the Gentiles. And by God's grace, they believe. Here's the deal. The, the, he went right next door to the synagogue and took the gospel message to the Gentiles. And 
Titus Justice believe. Brothers and sisters, the gospel, the gospel is not limited. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but what? Have eternal life. The message is to be proclaimed to all. It's for all to hear. If it was just the message for the Jews, if, if this message was just simply for the Jews, the, the message would have been snuffed out long ago. You and I would not be sitting here. The reason you and I sit in this place is because the gospel message just wasn't for the Jews. It was for the Gentiles as well. You know what this is a reminder, brothers and sisters, of? This is a reminder that we should not limit the gospel. We should not limit it to those who we want or who we think should hear the gospel. We do it, we do it all the t- time. We determine whether or not somebody else is worthy enough to hear this gospel message. We do it in a couple of different ways. We say, oh, well, they're just too far gone, and so the gospel won't have any power in their life. The gospel can't save them. Or we say, you know what? They've got it all together. They've got the house on the hill. They've got all the nice and fancy cars. They don't need the gospel. Don't limit the gospel, brothers and sisters. Do you think you were worthy of the gospel? Do you think you were worthy of hearing it? gospel, the gospel is unstoppable because it is not limited. The Jews didn't believe. Paul went to the Gentiles. We also see in this text that the gospel is unstoppable because God provides encouragement for those who carry the message. He provides some encouragement for those carrying the The message. As we have seen throughout the book of Acts, when the gospel is preached, there there are responses to it. People people either either believe or or they reject it or or they're indifferent. Our prayer, though, is that those would hear that people would hear the gospel and would respond in faith to him and, and trust him. That is our prayer. But it is also clear, as we have seen throughout the book of Acts, that when the gospel is preached, there are some that just don't believe. They, they, they harden their hearts. They, they reject the message. And that has been the pattern as we have looked throughout the book of Acts. And, and that's Paul's experience as he goes preaching from city to city. And Corinth is no different. As we stated earlier, Paul had a burden. He had a burden for his kinsmen. He labored hard in bringing them the message of Jesus Christ, but they outright rejected him. They wanted to have nothing to do with him. Brothers and sisters, this right here is hard and it is difficult. Many of us, many of us experience this with our families. We we have a burden for them. 
to hear the gospel. They're, they're, they're not saved, and we have, a, we have a burden and a passion, and, and no matter how much we preach and, and no matter how much we share with them the good news of Jesus Christ, they just won't believe. Their, their, their response is, is a blank stare or, or even just a, a shunning. They don't, they don't invite you anymore to dinner or to family gatherings because you keep on bringing up the gospel, and you're rejected, and it is, and it is hard Brothers and sisters, this, 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 this rejection and this blasphemy took a toll on Paul. It can be, because we experience this with our own families, this can be frustrating. It can be hard. It can be, it can be, any, it can be discouraging. And, this, and this, was, this was Paul. It, it had taken a toll on him that he was being rejected. He was discouraged. I know we like to think about Paul as the, the super apostle. I know we like to think of him as the one that didn't get discouraged, that, didn't, that never got down. But brothers and sisters, he, he's human just like you and me, subject to all the emotions that, that we deal with. Fear, rejection, we, we deal with it. Oh, yes, Paul. Paul was indeed courageous. But courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is being fearful, but going anyway. Paul experienced fear. He experienced frustration and disappointment, and he needed to be encouraged. He says as much. He says that he was was scared and, and discouraged. He tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 3. And I was with you in weakness and, and in fear and in, and in much trembling. Paul had fears. He was discouraged. He needed to be encouraged. And you know what happens? The great encourager, the great encourager who had a desire to see his message advanced encourages Paul. Look at verse 9 and 10. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. And do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many, many in this city who are my people. Oh, brothers and sisters, God spoke to Paul in a vision and informed informed him of two important truths. First way he encouraged him was to let him and remind him that God's will is always accomplished. It's always accomplished. God had people in that city that were his. Do you understand what an encouragement this would have been to Paul? He could go on speaking. He could go on preaching because before the foundation of the world, God had set his affection on men and women in Corinth. They were his. And and he determined that Paul would be in Corinth at that exact time and proclaim the gospel to them and they would be Saved. John 10 and 16 says, 
and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one, one shepherd. Christmas, Christmas and his household, whom Luke told us, believed God's people before the foundation of the earth. They were God's people before the foundation of the earth. The reason they believed is because God set his affection on them before the foundation of the earth. The many others who believed and were baptized in Corinth loved, loved. Do you you understand that? Loved, loved and chosen before the foundation of do you, know, do you know what an encouragement this would have been to Paul? This would have been an immense encouragement. Paul could go on preaching because he was assured that someone would believe. That someone, that, that his words, that his labor, that his speaking worried, wasn't going to be in vain. But when he preached the gospel, that someone in Corinth would believe. Paul, and God said he had many in that city. You understand that this promise still stands for us today? Do you understand that, that this promise still stands for us today? God doesn't tell, tell us who, who's going to believe. I, I, can't, I can't look out in this congregation and, and know who's not saved and, and, and direct my eyes and my gaze and only preach the gospel to you. I don't know who doesn't believe. God doesn't tell us doesn't tell us. So, God calls us to proclaim the gospel. He calls us to preach the gospel. Listen, knowing that people are chosen from the foundation of the world doesn't mean that we should keep our mouth shut in regard to the gospel. You know, that, that's, that's the common objection. If God has chosen people from the foundation of the earth, then why do I need to share the gospel with them? We share the gospel because that is the means God uses to save his children. Brothers and sisters, we share the gospel with those who we come in contact with because perhaps we might have the privilege of seeing one of God's children come home. One of the sheep, the wayward sheep that was lost, but yet now has been found. God uses us. What a privilege that when we preach the gospel, the message that we proclaim is the means by which God brings his children home. God's reassurance to Paul that he had people in Corinth would have been deeply, deeply, deeply encouraging. Does it encourage you? When you hear that, are you encouraged to then go out and proclaim the gospel and share, knowing that some will believe? Oh, you should. You should. God encourages Paul by letting him know that his will is always accomplished. But he also encourages Paul with the promise of his presence. Promise of his presence. God told Paul that, that he was with him. Again, again, Paul was human. I, I'm sure he had fears. How confident 
How confident, how confident would you be in sharing the gospel if you not just knew, but you actually believed that God was with you, that he was, that he was with you? Well, brothers and sisters, he is. He is with you. After Jesus gives the great commission to, to the apostles, what, what does he say? Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you, do you know what a promise it is? is? This, is this is the promise that has sustained God's people for, for centuries. It was, it was a promise to Noah and to Moses and to Joshua and to David that, that God was with them. Do you believe the God of the universe is with you? If you believe that, you would live differently. Your life would be different. If you believe this, if you believe this, you would know that you need not be afraid. That's what God says to Paul. Do not be afraid, Paul. Do not be afraid. Go on speaking. You know, this promise is not just limited to those on the mission field or those in ministry. I think we see this and we say, oh, okay, well, that's just for the pastor. That's just for the, for, the, for, the, for the missionary. This is true for you. This is, this is true for you on your jobs. This is true for you in your homes, in the classroom. Wherever you find yourself seeking to live with the desire of glorifying God, the promise of him being with you is yours. Paul could go on preaching and proclaiming the gospel in a hostile environment because, brothers and sisters, the gospel is unstoppable. And if the servant of God needed encouragement, he was going to be encouraged. God was going to provide him with encouragement. We've been at this church plant for um, seven years, actually a little bit longer than seven years, praying when we first started. And all I can tell you that there are many times that we have been discouraged. Many, many times. Church planting can be very discouraging, very discouraging. But all along the way, at certain points in time, when we needed encouragement, the great encourager provided it. He reminded us to, to keep pressing, keep moving. I am with you. Keep, keep going. That promise, that promise is yours, brothers and sisters, that God is with you. That ever happened to you where you were down, where you were discouraged and you needed encouragement and God sends encouragement to you? Oh, he encourages his people who carry the message. Paul needed encouragement and the encouragement he needed was right on time. Because the opposition, the opposition that was coming to Paul was about to be ratcheted up a notch. The Jewish leaders weren't having much success stopping Paul from preaching the gospel. And, and so they decided that it was time to get the government involved. If we can't stop them, the government will, will be able to stop them. So the Jewish leaders bring up charges against Paul. And Luke shows us 
Last point for the morning. That the gospel is, in, is unstoppable because it is a gospel of grace. Because it is a gospel of grace. The Jews who were attacking and reviling Paul did not like the gospel he was preaching. They didn't like the gospel that, that Paul was preaching. He was preaching Jesus as Messiah. That he was killed, but three days later rose again. And based upon what we know of all of Paul's other sermons, we know that he was calling these, these Jewish leaders to repent and to place their faith in Jesus. Well, according to them, that was not what the Jews believed. And this message wasn't approved by the government. You see, in the Roman Empire, it, a, real, a religion had to be approved. It had to be approved if you wanted to practice it. And Judaism was approved. The Jewish leaders thought, okay, since Paul isn't teaching the same message that we're teaching, we're going to take him to the Jewish, to, to the Roman authorities. They'll condemn Paul for this, for this, for this religion, and he, will, he'll, he'll have to stop preaching it. But here was the real issue. Here's why they really wanted Paul to stop preaching They wanted Paul to stop preaching the message of salvation by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Paul was messing with their works-based religion. Keep all the laws, keep all the regulations, and you will be right with God. They were self-righteous legalists who wanted the message of grace stopped. Their religion was more important than God's grace. What did the proconsul? What was the response of the, of, the, of the Roman authorities? What was the response of the Roman proconsul? Here's what he said. Paul was about to speak these, these charges, and Gallio stopped him and said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. He sides with Paul. He sides with Paul. According to God's promise, you know the promise that he just made? Nothing will attack you or harm you. Paul is saved from being attacked and being harmed according to the promises of God. Again, reassuring him of his presence. But more importantly, we see that the gospel of grace, the gospel that Paul was preaching, was not stopped by by the Roman authority. The gospel of grace continued to be proclaimed in the city of Corinth. Oh, brothers and sisters, do you understand the reason why the gospel is so unstoppable is because it is a gospel of grace. You can't save yourself. You see, if it was left up to our works and our abilities, none of us would be standing here today. We would not be in this church gospel proclamation would have stopped long ago. But we understand 
the message that we preach is a gospel of grace. And the reason it is unstoppable is because God saves his people. It's not about you being good and and, and, and making yourself right before a holy and a just God. If he would mark iniquities, then who would stand? The gospel of grace says, Jesus lived the life that you couldn't live perfectly. Died the death that you and I deserved. He satisfied the holy wrath of God. If you place your faith and your trust in him, you will be saved. It's that simple message. It's that message of God's mercy and his grace that ultimately, ultimately makes the gospel unstoppable. Oh, men and women will come and go. The gospel of Jesus Christ, oh, it accomplishes what it has been sent to do. Namely, to save his people. It's unstoppable. Pray that you would trust Jesus this morning. Your heart is not too hard. The, the gospel, the gospel uh, can change your hard heart. <laughs> your heart is no match for the grace of God. It's unstoppable. Let's pray.